Hello, today I am joined by Nikki Hagendyke. Nikki, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, Dave. Yeah, I'm Nikki Hagendyke. I'm the Professional Learning Advisor for Wider Curriculum at EAS, and I'm formerly the um, Chair of the Humanities AOLE. And before that, I was working in school as a Head of Faculty and previously a Head of History. So I am a historian by trade. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And today we're talking about numeracy within history. So it sounds like I've got a good person to talk to. So I'll start without further ado with my first question, which is when working with numeracy coordinators, they are encouraged to work only with numeracy rich subjects. But with the curriculum for Wales on the horizon, we will be expected to plan effectively for all cross curricular skills. Do you feel there are opportunities to develop numeracy skills within history? Yes, very much so. I think so in, in the curriculum for Wales 2022, numeracy is obviously one of the cross curricular responsibilities. I mean, it's very clear that that means that it should be embedded across the whole curriculum, across all areas of learning, along with literacy, digital competence and, and integral skills. I think in the new curriculum, though, just like in the current one, there are subjects where opportunities for numeracy are more frequent and occur more naturally within the subject content than with others. So thinking firstly about the humanities AOLE, I would say that geography, business studies and social studies would probably be the three out of the five subjects that I can see the greatest potential for the most significant amounts of very authentic and rich numeracy within the subject um, content. I think the inclusion of social studies and business studies in the area of learning and experience actually provides some really rich opportunities for numeracy. And so perhaps that might be something that we can uh, talk about in a future podcast, Dave. I think the key thing for me is uh, when we're looking at the old curriculum or we're looking at the new curriculum, is that numeracy has got to be appropriate and not shoehorned in. It needs to be uh, authentic and real and not just a bolt on or a tick off, uh, tick off a list to show that it's been covered. And it's also it shouldn't be simplistic. So it shouldn't be something that's done. Uh, let me start that again. Uh, it also shouldn't be a sort of numeracy activity that's put in to replace, um, you know, valuable activities that could be uh, done within the subject area. And so, you know, all of that is very much within the principles of the curriculum for Wales. Uh, so thinking about history in particular, yes, there are opportunities for numeracy in history, but because it's not one of the numeracy rich subjects, it does need to be very carefully considered and done in the right way. So there are plenty of opportunities within history for numeracy. And I think there's plenty of places where currently opportunities for numeracy are not taken and are not done well. So I would say, personally speaking, I think the best opportunities for numeracy in history I see coming from the historical inquiry process um, and linked especially with that first statement of what matters in the humanities AOLE. You know, as, as historians uh, in lessons, we use a lot of sources and a lot of those sources do contain numerical data. So things like statistics on population change, casualties in war, crimes, illness, uh, economic statistics, for example. And so learning how to analyse that, that data, uh, ways of presenting that data, ways of synthesising that data into a historical narrative, finding correlations, patterns, trends in the data, all of that is really rich, valuable opportunities to support the understanding of the historical event or the change that you happen to be studying. And so for me, it's, it's times like that when, when numeracy is of great, great value within history. So representing, comprehending, analysing quantitative data does really help pupils to understand history and to understand the historical concepts of significance, cause and effect, continuity and change. 
Um, and even even when you've got learners who've got low levels of literacy, numerical sources can actually provide a really good way of understanding the topic or the question. So being able to you know, interpret data is really uh, important, I think, within history. And, I, and I've seen some really good examples and one that stuck in my mind is an example of a school who uh, they'd studied the First World War um, and they'd done quite a quite a detailed study of the First World War. And what they asked pupils to do was to predict what a graph would look like of casualties from each year of the war and from each country that was involved. And they got pupils to do a prediction based on their existing knowledge. And then they showed them the actual real statistics. And that then generated huge numbers of more questions about why their prediction wasn't quite matched with reality, why there were countries that they perhaps hadn't studied a great amount up to that point, uh, because they'd been looking largely at the Western Front in the First World War, and the actual statistics showed large numbers of casualties from places like India and Australia. So it enabled them to really um, develop and broaden their investigation into history. You've reminded me of something that I was researching. I think this is more for the Second World War, and it absolutely blew my mind that the country in the Second World War that lost the most amount of people by far and away was China, I believe. I, I believe so, yes. And I think that's part of um, one of the one of the issues there is in history is that we we tend to look, especially when we're looking at the First World War and the Second World War, we do look a lot at the, the Western Front and we look at a lot, lot at the Second World War in, in, in Europe. Both wars were, were world wars and the, the number of you know, people from Africa, from, from Southeast Asia, from, from Russia, from America, from Canada, from Australia, who were involved in both conflicts is absolutely enormous. And I think um, that that's a, it's a really useful um, way that sources like, like casualty statistics or even the number of soldiers from each country who were involved, that can be a real useful way of opening up and broadening your study of a topic like that. Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much for sharing that one with us. So you, you've answered a lot of my second question there, which was, what are the benefits of using numeracy approaches to support the teaching of history? Um, is there anything else you'd like to add on that or should we go on to my third question? So I think there are times when numeracy is really, really valuable in history. And I think there are genuine opportunities for numeracy. And when it's used in a real, genuine and authentic way, I think it benefits historical understanding as well as benefiting numerical understanding. Um, and I think that especially in terms of historical inquiry, good numerical understanding actually supports historical understanding. And I would say as well, if you think if you think a bit perhaps more broadly than just numeracy and you think as well about mathematical thinking, then actually mathematical thinking is, is very relevant to, to all curriculum areas, really, isn't it? Because, you know, exploring, questioning, explaining, justifying, visualising, proving all of those things we do in history um, as much as as in maths, really. Oh, brilliant. Thanks very much. My third question today is what are the pitfalls of using numeracy approaches to support teaching of history? I'm going to say there's quite a few pitfalls. I think one of the pitfalls is where numeracy activities are put in and they perhaps either detract from or reduce the focus on the historical skill or concept. And I think I see this most often um, with chronology activities and timelines. Timelines are really useful activities for hit developing history, but also really useful numeracy activities. But sometimes they are done purely as numeracy activities. And I feel that you do lose a lot of the history by doing that. So, for example, I've seen even in secondary timeline activities that have been purely about sequencing the dates of events, putting things in order, 
calculating how long periods were the number of years between different events. In the current national curriculum, chronology in the sense of knowing the sequence of events does sort of stop at level three of the national curriculum levels. After that, chronological understanding develops into a broader concept of change. So understanding when things happened and the sequence that they happened is a kind of precursor for the deeper understanding of change, patterns of change, how things changed over time. Um, and so sometimes when I see um, timeline activities as being purely just about sequencing, I feel that there's a, a lost opportunity to develop the history uh, through looking at the, the patterns, through looking at the trends, through looking at the times when there were gradual change, the times when there were turning points. And that's what I like to see when people are using timelines, is that they're using them as a way of helping pupils to develop that kind of map of the past in their heads that enables them to really analyse how things changed throughout that period. So I think I would say the first pitfall is when activities like timelines are made purely about numeracy and you lose some of the historical understanding that should also be being developed through that activity. Um, I think another pitfall is sometimes when things are a bit shoehorned in, when they perhaps lack authenticity and value, um, when numeracy is sort of put in as a, as a standalone task. That does mean it's often delivered with a, a lack of enthusiasm and is potentially a bit of a tick box activity. And I think sometimes those activities can take quite a long time within history lessons. And sometimes the level of challenge can be reduced because it's a, a lengthy activity that perhaps isn't adding massive amount of value in terms of the pupils understanding. So I, I think generally I would say the pitfalls are, are quite numerous and I think the fundamental point is that history's contribution to numeracy needs to be really carefully thought out. Otherwise you can end up wasting a lot of valuable teaching time on numeracy activities that are not really hugely valuable, challenging or authentic. Brilliant, thanks very much. That moves me on to my next question, which is how can numeracy coordinators and history departments work together? I think firstly it's about it's about communication and about trying to understand each other and trying to understand the situation. So history, uh, history contributes an enormous amount to literacy. And I think when you look across, a, especially a secondary school and you see where's literacy done most often, I think history, geography and RE, the amount they contribute to, to cross-curricular literacy development is absolutely enormous. So I think sometimes heads of history can see they already contribute so much to that, contributing to numeracy might be uh, you know another extra for them that they might perceive it in that way and I think literacy really is essential to accessing the curriculum in history and humanities in a way that numeracy isn't to the same extent so I think there needs to be real communication between the numeracy coordinator and the head of history to really um, see the place and the value of numeracy in history I think sometimes for a head of history and for history teachers it's hard to see the best times where numeracy should be in history it is not a numeracy rich subject and so it's hard to see where it should be and so history departments do really need support from a numeracy coordinator who's taken the time to, to understand history and to understand the subject so that they're not advising the history department to do shoehorned activities or pointless activities that take a lot of time and that don't really add value. So I sort of see it as a two-way communication process really. The numeracy coordinator needs to try to understand the nature of the subject and to not see it in a simplistic way. 
but also the, the history department needs to try their hardest to see where the best places for numeracy are. I think it's probably also important for a numeracy coordinator to see the demands on a history department as well. History department has very little time on the timetable and the content of history is really quite um, significant, you know, in terms of thinking about the four purposes. You know, history is a, a subject that contributes enormously to the development of ethically informed citizens, to knowledge and understanding of the world. And history doesn't usually have a great amount of time on the timetable, sometimes one hour a week, sometimes three hours a fortnight at key stage three. So I think that, it, you know, what is realistic needs to be a, a, point, a point of discussion between numeracy coordinators and heads of history. What is realistic and what is right for history to do within the context of their timetable? I think as well, what I would say is communication is absolutely vital between the numeracy coordinator and the history team to work together as colleagues, trying to develop a, a research informed, very authentic, real um, and successful way of embedding numeracy in history. Brilliant. Thank you very much. That moves us on to my final question for today, which is what would be the benefit to having resources that exemplify numeracy development in history? I mean, I think this would be really useful for the heads of history and history teachers to be able to see um, examples of good practice. And uh, that might help enable them to, to sort of see also by default there what is not good practice and what perhaps is not being advised. Obviously, any opportunity we've got to share um, resources and to share practice saves teachers time and also helps upskill them and enable them to see other places where similar types of activity could work within their particular curriculum structure. I think it also gives a bit of a starting point, doesn't it, for, for the conversation between numeracy coordinators and heads of history, which relates back to what we were talking about just a minute ago, doesn't it, about if there's some resources and some, some exemplars of good practice, it can actually help um, numeracy coordinators and history departments to work effectively together. And I would say I think it's really important to be up to date. I don't think um, in the in the past, going back to the uh, national curriculum 1988, I don't think necessarily we've always had the best examples of numeracy across the curriculum. Um, and I, so I think making sure that we've got really up to date examples of what is really good practice currently, um, research informed good practice um, is very beneficial to schools. Lovely. Thank you very much for your time today, Nikki. Really, really enjoyed listening to the points that you've made. So thank you very much for your time. No problem. Anytime.